0: First Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. Nope. Well, happy anniversary, everyone. I said that to Dina first off, and she looked at me and went, what am I missing here? <laughs> 23 years ago, First Timothy chapter 1, 23 years ago, uh, we opened the doors of the old uh, TA Hall in Blarney, and we had two people out. I thought there were two million people. It was absolutely Perfect. And it's never been anything less than perfect all the years along. Um, I just encourage you, this afternoon we're going to have, I know the weather is very changeable, but God has given us the use of a very large, uh, the, the building next to where we have our activity center. And so we kind of cleaned it up. It needs a lot more work, so don't look too close. But it's spacious, it's dry, and we've got enough chairs for everybody, tables, tables. Uh, if you don't have any food, buy a pizza or buy a sandwich, come along and join us. Uh, the message this afternoon is going to be a real in, uh, it's an encouragement to me, the kind of company we keep. The kind of company we keep. And um, uh, I just invite you to come along. If you haven't been inside that building, it might give you a vision of what might be going on, what might happen. Lord willing, we'll just see how the Lord works. 1 Timothy chapter 1, I want to talk to you about the chief of sinners. Now, uh, there in verse 11, let's read these, these uh, six or seven verses in First Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So this is Paul talking. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, not these words, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me, my life, first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him, to life everlasting, now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And what how does He end it? Amen. Now, often a lot of people approach the Bible stories as if they're only stories and not really real. But you know, the stories of the Bible aren't storybook stories. They are the lives of real people. Evidently, God wants us to learn from people. I like learning from others because their mistakes can help me not to make the same. Amen? So there are plenty of people in your Bible. Uh, And one of God's special examples was a guy named Paul. Now, Paul, one day, he sat down and he wrote that not only was he a sinner, but a great sinner. And even beyond that, he said, I'm not just a great sinner, and great means awful, but I am the chief of sinners, which is a unique phrase. How can he say that? He's he definitely, he's not, a, he's not a drug cartel leader. He's not a mass murderer. He didn't go into crowds and blow himself up. Here was a first century Christian who started churches all over the Middle East and Southern Europe. Here was a man who stood preaching the gospel before kings and princes. He endured prison cells and almost constant hardships. And yet he had the audacity to say, I am the chief. Of sinners. Now, at first, he never really believed he was a sinner. If you had met Paul early on in his career as a Pharisee of Pharisees, he would have said, no, I'm blameless. He would have dug his heels in and said, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a sinner. But something happened to him. You know, I always come along and somebody says, oh, I like this church. I say, all right, are you born again? Oh, I like the choir. Good. Do you know where you're going when you die oh wow this is this is you you preach so well, which I always worry about when they say that because listen all of that fluff doesn't matter compared to the destiny of your soul and Paul could have uh uh could have had every and he does have everything to boast except Jesus Christ until one day when he meets him, and that changed his life that made him so we understood what Jesus was all about. Let me, let me read for you a few scriptures. Matthew 18, 11, Jesus said these words, The Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Romans 5, verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare die. But God... He didn't die for good people. He didn't die for righteous people. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.14 says it this way, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You see, Paul never understood that till that day on the road to Damascus. Something happened to Saul of Tarsus. And we want to look at his testimony this morning. Because it is his testimony, not just of a one-time event that changed his life, but of a life that was changed. And I would say, every one of us, if we've been saved for any period of time, it's glorious. There's more work to be done. As somebody once said, I'm glad I'm not what I used to be. I know I'm not what I should be. But folks, one day I will be just like Jesus. I'll be without, without sin. I'll be without... Temptation, I'll be without flaw and failure, amen. Listen to me. Let's look at the Apostle Paul and his testimony and see if it applies to us. I pray, Father, right now as we bow, that you'd help me to help your people. I would preach what you would say if you were here. And that, Lord, with the same heart and with the same passion, God, we would hear it. And we would, we would obey. We would yearn to know these great truths and live by them. Lord, you're looking for just, just a few. You don't have to have everybody. You died for everybody, but you're looking for just a few who would really believe this book. I pray that we would. I've been in this room. There were some people who would look at their hearts and examine themselves and see what's really in there. Whether it's a lot of, of, uh, uh deception, a lot of lies, a lot of shenanigans. And they need to be born again need to not just put on a show, but put on Jesus Christ. I pray that somebody, somebodies, will realize today is their day. Today is the day they can be born again. I can't give it to them. No priest can give it to them. No water can give it to them. No sacrament. Only your Son, Father, died to give the gift of eternal life. I pray somebody takes it today. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So look at verse 11. Let's contrast two things here. Verse 11 says this. Still back in 1 Timothy chapter 1. According to, now we're going to contrast these words, the glorious gospel. The blessed God which is committed to my trust. Go down to verse 15. And he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. What's he saying? This is amazing. Please believe what I'm about to tell you. That Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Here's his contrast. Glorious gospel. Chief of sinners. Isn't that a good contrast? Here you have something that is glorious, beautiful, pure, wonderful, powerful. And here's somebody who's not worth shooting. Here's somebody that is not just a sinner, not just a bad sinner, but the chief of sinners. One day they met. Isn't that wonderful? God can put opposites together. Look at your husband. Amen. Amen. Here's the Apostle Paul telling us about a glorious gospel. You know, Paul loved to talk about the gospel. He loved talking about what Jesus did on the cross. Yes, there's a lot of doctrine in the New Testament. There are a lot of things that he settles and he teaches. But the thing that he keeps coming back over and over is the awesomeness, the amazing, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the good news of Jesus? That he died for me, Paul said. It was personal. I mean, it's one thing to say he died for a sinner like you, Bill. It's another to say he died for a sinner like me. Paul loved hearing it preached and Paul loved preaching it. It was the most powerful truth that Paul had ever heard. He had an affected life. Look back there in verse 12. It did something to him. Look what it did to him. It changed him. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. He didn't thank his religious leaders anymore. He didn't thank the... Uh, 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 the Sanhedrin he didn't thank the, uh, Gamaliel his religious teachers he said I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor injurious but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundantly with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus and then he caps it off this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation Don't believe anything else except this, that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. What happened here? Paul was grateful. Paul was thankful. One of the ways I know somebody's saved is they come along and says, I'm glad I'm saved. You know, if somebody came along, if you had, if you lost your kidneys, if you had kidney failure and you're on the, you're in a hospital bed and you're dying on that dialysis machine and somebody comes in there and says, I'll give you one of mine, how would you react? You'd be grateful, wouldn't you? I mean, every day you saw them, you'd have you'd go up to them and hug them because they gave you a second chance on life. You know, when Jesus Christ died, he didn't give you a kidney. He gave you eternal life. And when that hits you, all of a sudden, you're grateful. I thank God. I thank Jesus. I mean, it ought to be just natural out of us. We get around other Christians, and yeah, your day may have stank yesterday. Yeah, your month may have stank. Maybe everything's been going wrong, but you know what? If you're saved, you can be grateful you be thankful. I thank Christ Jesus. Amen. He's grateful. Secondly, Jesus, you know, what did Jesus give him? He gave him the gospel. And you say, how did Paul, Saul of Tarsus, hear the gospel? Every person he persecuted, they looked at Paul and they said, Paul, you need to get saved too. Paul, you need Christ. Paul, if you only knew Jesus. He heard the gospel. And a lot of you, through your workplace or whatever, you uh, 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 you probably have encountered one of those Jesus people. And those people who they, they seem to <clears throat> they seem to hand out gospel tracts and they they um, uh, always talking about God is good and all this stuff. And you know what God's doing? When they hand you a gospel tract? He's giving you a chance. You remember somebody giving I, I uh I never had anybody that I remember ever giving me the gospel. Nobody nobody came up to me and says, Craig, you're lost, you need to be found. You need to be born again until back in March of nineteen eighty. Thank God for somebody who gave me the gospel. And by the way, it wasn't really them. You know who it was? It was Jesus Christ. He motivated some woman to look beyond a long-haired hippie and says, that bird needs saved. Amen. Jesus, what had Jesus done for him? Gave him the gospel? He enabled Paul. You know, Paul, I guarantee you, you met Paul before he met Jesus Christ. He had the sourest face. He had the angriest countenance. His only joy was getting people to curse the name of Jesus Christ. You ever know anybody like that? He was so miserable in his religion, so miserable in his self-righteous, so miserable in himself, that his only joy was when he hurt other people. Now I guarantee you, he laughed, he loved the unlovable, and he got on with the ungetonable, and he served under intense hardship, because he they're in prison. You know what he did when he was with Silas? When he had nothing but whelps on his back and rats on his toes. Do you know what he did there in that prison? He sang. What would do that to him? Jesus killed him. You say, I lost my song. Ask God for it back. He'll give it to you. Put Paul in the ministry. You know, I, I, I still don't understand why people don't Don't understand the ministry. I think, folks, Paul thought it was the highest ministry you could be called to. I still believe it's the highest ministry you can be called to. To Paul, Peter, James, John, Matthew, Bartholomew, Philip, Stephen, they had the best jobs. They got to all day, every day serve God. They didn't have to, they didn't have to worry about all the problems of politics. Didn't have to worry about all the problems of the economy. He wanted to see souls saved. He wanted to get the gospel out. He wanted churches to be started. It burdened him to, to stay excited because it was the greatest thing he could ever do. I pity Theresa May. I mean the, 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 the turnaround of events in politics. Whatever your side in on that mess there in in the UK with all the pressure, can you imagine calling that uh, a high calling? Dealing with politics, people quitting on you, jumping ship, turning on you, calling you to quit. Let me tell you, there's one person who called me and he'll never ask me to quit. Amen? Amen? Folks, let me tell you this real plain and simple. What I get to do every Sunday, what I get to do every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday again is the greatest thing on earth. And Paul said... I thank God that he enabled me, putting me in the ministry. You say, all I can do is teach Sunday school. You're in a good place. All I can do is welcome people at the door. You're in a good place. All I can do is hand out a gospel track on Saturday and invite people out of church. That's the ministry. It's a great thing. It's a great thing, folks. One other thing that just jumps out of here. He realizes, look down there. He says, uh, verse 16, for this reason, I realize why God saved me. Why I obtain mercy? That in me, first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. Think about that. Jesus would show how much he had to put up with me. So the people would be encouraged. Well, if, God, if Jesus could put up with the likes of Paul, I guess he can put up with me. Amen. For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him unto life everlasting. Paul says, I'm needed. I need to be in church on Sunday so that somebody can say he's staying faithful. The Joy's still there. She's still reading her Bible. She's still going after her neighbors. You You see, when you got saved, God said, I got a job for you to do. And Paul said, the reason why I'm still around is because people need to see somebody, no matter how low I go, no matter how much I endure, they need to see me staying faithful. And that's true in this church. 23 years, you know what? We need to stay faithful. We need to stay the course. We need to finish our course till the rapture. Now, what was Paul before conversion? Go back to the verse 12. There are four things he describes here in verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Well, what was he before he got into the ministry? Verse 13, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Four things I know you're in Timothy, but go to the left and find Philippians chapter 3, and I'll show you where he describes in a little more detail just how wicked he was. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. You know what Paul was, first off? He was blindly religious. He was caught up in everything about himself and what he had done for God. You know what I get excited about? What he did for me. If you're saved, it's because he died, not because you prayed a prayer, not because you did any good works. It's because he reached out, and you cried out, and the two of you met, and he saved you. Look in Philippians chapter three and verse. What I say, four. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath where, if he might trust in the flesh, I more. Look what he trusted in. Look what he was so proud of. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel to the tribe of, Ab- of Benjamin. And Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, whew, I persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. That's pretty intense. That's pretty good. If if God were to count effort, he'd get an A+++. plus. If God were to count effort. But he doesn't, by the way. <laughs> but you see, my Bible tells me there is none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what Paul was? On the outward, he looked like a pretty good person. On the outward, he was very religious. But on the inward, he was a secret sinner. Just like you. There are things that you do that nobody else knows about. There are things you think about that you're ashamed of. Paul had the same sins, the same, remember what he calls himself? Chiefest of what? Of sinners. You see, he finally was honest with, you don't know me. Somebody comes up, Pastor, you're a great man. You don't know me. He's blindly religious. He was a blasphemer of Jesus Christ. And I don't think we understand just just how serious that is. People worry about, you know, uh, they, they, they wonder, what does it mean to blaspheme God? Well, it's a serious offense. Let's just go around and let's tell lies about Kathy. That's called libel. To misrepresent somebody, to tell something that's not true about them, is what people do about God. They say, where was God when, when, when the earthquake happened over there in Iran and 50,000 people died? Where was God in World War II when six million Jews died? That's blasphemy. It's okay to ask a question. It's another, another to believe he's to blame. You understand what I'm saying? That's blasphemy. It's like me saying, where was Kathy when this was going on? She's not at fault. That 's a misrepresentation, so here was Paul every chance he got, he would blame Jesus, he would malign, he would lampoon i know i there 's a preacher that I know who before he got saved he was a he was a he was an artist, you know what he drew he loved to draw Jesus drunk, he loved to draw he would draw the the um and, and paint the, the the last supper, and he 'd have Jesus Christ there holding up a wine glass, and everybody else over there all drunk and singing. And he just laughed and laughed and laughed until he got saved. Then one day, he was uh, asked to paint a baptistry. Now, in America, we have the baptisms in the church sometimes. So they have a, a big miniature pool all right, where they baptize. But behind there you can paint kind of it's a river or a scenery or whatever. And he was asked, says you got some talent, why don't you paint this? So he got all his paints out and he stood up there and he got ready to start to paint and he started to draw and, and then the Lord just struck him in his heart and says, Remember what you used to do about me years ago with all your buddies, how you used to paint my picture? And he dropped those he dropped those uh uh pencils and those paints. And he got down on his knees and said, Lord, I don't deserve to be doing this. I've done nothing but blaspheme your holy name. The Lord says, if you'll keep that attitude, I'll use you. Amen. He realized what it used to be. He realized how wicked it was. See, sometimes, you know, the hardest thing to do is to get people, convince people they're sinners, get people to realize just how wicked they are, how they're not just off-color jokes, they're sin. He's a blasphemer of Jesus Christ. He ridiculed, made fun of Jesus. He cursed Jesus. He made Jesus equal with the devil. Paul went everywhere saying that Jesus was a liar, a fraud, a sinner. It's kind of funny. Paul had to one day admit, I was the liar, the fraud, and the sinner. You know what the Bible says in Philippians 2.10? At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. You think people do that? No, they mock him. Mock him. You know what? We blaspheme him too. Well, I didn't think about it. We bring dis- disrepute to him. We we People look at us and they wonder, who's Jesus? Doesn't it embarrass you? It embarrasses me. He was a blasphemer of Jesus. He was a bully. You never met a bully like Saul the Terminator. 1 Corinthians 15. Go back to the left. Find 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9. <clears> 1 <throat> Corinthians 15, 9. For I am least of the apostles and am not meet. I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He persecuted them beyond measure, Galatians says. Thousands of of believers back then lived in fear of their life if they ever heard that Paul was in town. He put believers in prison. He physically hurt people. He tortured them. I wish I could take, if you know anything of your New Testament... He actually tortured Christians. He put them to death. He gave his voice against those who were who living the gospel, encouraging those who were stoning them, all in the name of his God. Folks, this is a dangerous guy. He's a bully of bullies. Do you know the worst of it? He was an unbeliever. He trusted his own goodness and his own righteousness. It's called self-righteousness. I don't need Jesus. Hey, people, do you know who say, "I don't need to go to church. I don't need the Bible. I don't need Jesus. I don't need a savior." That send anybody to hell. Amen? Amen. And when somebody finally gets saved, you know they look back and say, "Well, I wasn't that bad of a person, but you know what? I was an unbeliever. I rejected the Bible. I did. I decided not to believe it." Now, um, Paul now understood what it meant to be a sinner. Now, if I asked you, what do you think it means to be a sinner? I know what you'd say. You'd say, oh, it's somebody that's really bad. Someone who's done some really bad stuff, Pastor. What you mean is somebody who's more evil than you. That's what sinner is. You know what the Bible says sin is? is the transgression of the law. Sin is the breaking of God's law. It is these words. It is rebellion against God. It is the willful choice to disobey what God says to do. We go our own way. I mean, we expect it of little children. We expect to deal with disobedience in little children the age of Connor or the age of Haley. You say, Haley, sit down. She stands up. You say, Connor, pick that up. And Connor walks away. (laughs) But you know, when you're dealing with grown people and you say, you must be born again. And they walk away and they go... That is what a sinner is. You say, well, they didn't kill anybody. God said it. You better do it. When we break any law of God, it is a sin. When you lie to anyone, when you steal from any. well, you don't understand. My boss doesn't need this. You're a thief. When you lust in your heart, when you covet something, when you dishonor your parents' rules, I just don't understand my parents' rules. You'll never understand them until you is one. Well, get over it. Skipping worship on Sunday for a ball game. See, God said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Amen. You say, well, I'm just missing church. You're missing the family. You're missing what God says. I don't make the rules. I yearn for you to be here. It's like mama preparing a big Christmas dinner and only three show up when you got twelve. Some of you may understand that. Those are sins. Sinning is not just when you murder somebody. Not just when you have a couple of whores on the side. It's when we break any law of God. And there's some pretty awful sinners in the Bible. Remember the list? Adam and Eve. Cain murdered his own brother in his cold cold blood. Noah got drunk right after the flood. Abraham shacked up with a servant woman to try and get a baby. Lot trashed his relationship with God for the world's wealth and success. Moses murdered a man while trying to be a great leader. King David committed adultery and then covered it up with a lie and then a murder. Solomon, here's the most stupid of all, he married 700 women. And then decided, I need 300 girlfriends on top. And then he ended up worshiping hundreds of false gods. And then that's just Old Testament. What about Peter cursing the name of Jesus Christ, denying ever even knowing it? No wonder people don't want to be known as sinners. It's pretty heinous. It's pretty hideous to be one. Paul didn't just understand what it meant to be a sinner. sinner. He saw himself as the big chief of sinners. <laughs> what does that mean? I like this. Chief usually is thought of as being the most important one. You know, the head of uh, the, the, the best or the top, like an Indian chief would be the leader of his tribe. But chief of sinners says the opposite. Paul is saying, I'm first in line of Sinners. I'm the head of all sinners. I'm I'm the most awful of sinners. In other words, he's saying this. If you want to know what a sinner is and what a sinner can do, I'm the chief of them. There's no better example of what a sinner is than me, Paul says. This This is somebody who saw himself as the chief of sinners, which meant he was the worst. How do you see yourself? I wish I could... I wish I could tell you what I know you want God to say. But you won't believe me. You want God to say you're not that bad of a person. You want God to pat you on the back saying, you're good, you're doing fine, just keep going. That's what we want. But you won't believe me. But Paul understood it. Paul understood there is nothing good in me. I'm the worst. No, I didn't do what Solomon did. No, I didn't do what Cain did to his brother. But i tell you this, Paul said, I did worse. And this is the beginning, this is the foundation of Christianity. Is I am a sinner. His, his Son, His Lamb of God is my Savior. And that's all that we need to glory. When we understand just how nothing we are and all that He had to do for us, it makes Christianity real simple and makes it real good. You see, when you realize just who Jesus is and how perfect he is and how holy he is, it'll cut you to the heart. You'll realize just how imperfect you are, how unholy you are. Paul discovered he had been blind, blindly religious, a blasphemer, a bully and an unbeliever, a Bible rejecter. You say, well, those aren't my sins. I bet you've got some of your own. But then something wonderful happened. You see, Paul realized I shouldn't be saved. How could God save a wretch like me? How? I'm the chief of sinners. Why? But I, but you see, Paul can balance it out saying, Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Isn't that good news? You see what the gospel is? The gospel is all about Christ dying for sinners. And as wicked, as low, as vile as we may be, That's who he came to save. And that's what happened to Paul. You see, let me talk about his conversion, still back in First Timothy chapter one. And find Romans in your left hand, Romans chapter six in your left hand, and Romans and then first Timothy in your right. Romans chapter six and first Timothy. Back in First Timothy. Starting first in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy. I didn't get what I deserved. That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe. That's me. He's a good pattern for me. Who would believe on him to life everlasting. You see, in reality, Paul had a past. Would you agree? He couldn't undo the past, could he? But you know what was wonderful about Paul's past? You ready? It's real deep. Hold on. It was in the past now. <laughs> the past was in the past. Go to Romans chapter 6 verse 17. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. Here's Paul thanking God again. Romans chapter six verse seventeen. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants now of. Some of you ever read it? Verse nineteen. I speak after the manner of men. I talk like a normal guy because of the infirmity of your flesh, because of the weakness of your sinful flesh. For as ye have yielded in the past, your members all of your fingers, your toes, your eyes, your ears, because you've yielded all of those members, servants to uncleanness, to unholiness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now choose to yield your members as servants to righteousness all the way to holiness. Paul Paul's telling us, hey, you don't have to live the way you used to. You can, go right ahead. I think you're stupid. A man who's poor, a woman who has nothing, lives on the street. Somebody comes along and says, we've got a house for you. We've got a family. People, people uh, uh, have uh, opened up their home, and um, uh, they've got clothes for you. You've got your own room ensuite. suite. You've, uh, uh, you've got a job waiting for you. You've got a, uh, a second chance. That person moves into the house and looks at that bed and says, no, I'll go back out on the street. What would you think of it? Stupid, huh? (laughs) Amen. Why would you do that? And yet, why do Christians still keep going back to the old sins? When you're free, the past is in the past, you don't have to drag it up into the present. Paul had a past that was in the past. But what changed him? How do you get to that place? I love this part. Amazing grace. You don't figure it out. You can't just do it. It's God's grace. It's a constant Kindness. See, God is long suffering to sinners, isn't he? You ever fail, Bill? Don't ask your wife. You're not sure. All right. Now ask your wife. Anyway. (laughs) God's grace, folks. The only reason why you're not dead right now is because God says, I'll give another chance. That's grace. Amen. Why? What could change Paul? Grace. Grace changed Paul. Is that on here? No? The gospel changed Paul. He believed it. You know, some of you know the gospel inside and out. Christ died for our sins, was buried according to the scriptures, rose again uh, three days later, is our justification. You know the gospel, you just haven't believed it. it. Bothers me. The gospel will change anybody if you believe it. God's mercy. You know what Paul deserved? You know how many hundreds, if not thousands, of people he was part of persecuting and hurting and destroying their lives? Forcing people to blaspheme Jesus takes a lot of effort. He ruined people's lives. He should have gone to hell. God's mercy gave him eternal life. One other thing he describes there in 1 Timothy is the love of Christ. I don't understand the holy and righteous God. I don't understand the perfection of his wisdom, the perfection of his laws. I disagree with them. I don't like some of them. Are you with me? But you know what? I can relate to the love of Christ. I can take his laws, I can take his word, because I know he loves me, and he doesn't do anything that's stupid towards me. He doesn't do anything that's wrong towards me. He's right. And so I accept everything he gives me because he loves me. What changed Paul? The love of Christ. Now how? How do you convert a killer into a preacher? Well, the first thing that happens is, He'd been forced to accept he'd been wrong. Guess what? He has to accept on the road to Damascus when he's falling off that horse and looking up into the light that's brighter than the sun. You know, he had to accept he was wrong. And by the way, ladies, he was a man accepting that he was wrong. <laughs> that's a miracle. Come on, ladies. That was a good that was a good statement. <laughs> Amen. He had to accept you are alive. You are Lord. You're the Messiah. I was wrong. Amen. Amen. You know how you get changed? The first thing that happens for you to be changed, men or women, is accept I'm wrong. I've done wrong. I was wrong about Christians. I was wrong about myself. I'm a sinner. He then, now this is the greatest thing. The person he hated the most, the person he had tried to hurt the most, the person he had made fun of the most, he threw himself on the mercy of him. He said, will you take me? Could you use me? What would you want me to do? Isn't that awesome? I mean, to walk up to your worst enemy, to Paul, Jesus was the enemy. He walked up to him, so to speak, and he says, I trust you. You see, the fear of God, when you realize just how powerful he is and how much authority he has to to wipe you out in one breath, makes you realize, you know, if I just get close to him, maybe he'll keep me alive. He threw himself on the mercy of the very one he had cursed. And that changed Paul. Now, let's keep going. Paul was changed. Paul was changed. You know how he he got changed? Let's say this. What did he become? First of all, he did not become perfect. (laughs) I heard about the woman who went to the shopping center and it said uh, uh, on the seventh floor, there were all these different guys, you know, the normal guy. I can't remember. I wish I knew it. And the, the, uh, the better guy that, and it described the husbands, you know. Um, the first guy was a guy who, who didn't take a shower but once a week and he, he, he loved working with pigs and he basically gambled and he got drunk and on level two was another kind of guy and each time it was better. But on level seven was the perfect man. So guess where all the women went? When they got up there, it was a roof. <laughs> anyway, here's the point. Here's the point. What, there is no floor for a perfect men. Amen. There are no perfect men. Here's the point. Uh, I wish I could say the Bible says that we're perfect when we first get saved. I wish we could, I wish we could say that there's no more sin, no more struggle, but that's not true. When you got saved, you weren't made perfect. But from the moment that Paul met Jesus Christ, he was a new creature. He was a new person. If you're not even the slightest bit different now than you were before you got saved, I can ask you, did you get saved? It has to change you. It has to. He was a new creature. He was no longer powerless against his old nature. Every one of us had bad habits. Every one of us. Look at your kids. They're copying all of your bad habits, by the way. <laughs> My grandkids, I'm watching. Whenever I say something, Connor's up there and he'll say the same thing. I go, got to watch what I say, man. <laughs> Everyone has got bad habits. Once you got saved, you now, are, you now have power against those bad habits. He was able to live free from sins that had ruled, ruled his life. His religion only made him a killer. His successes only made him prouder. His, his Bible was only a tool to manipulate and control others. But now, you know what? This guy was free. Able to live free from the sins that had ruled his life. All because he was forgiven. See, the world spends a lot of time trying to play down our guilt. Do you not agree that guilt's a hard thing to deal with? You ever struggle with guilt? Probably are. One of the most powerful events is when you get forgiven. You know what the world says? He didn't do anything wrong. You're not that bad. Here, take this pill. You'll feel better. What are they covering? Our guilt. You know how to deal with guilt? Get forgiven. You say, well, my 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 kids won't forgive me. My husband won't forgive me. My parents won't forgive me. My kids, they, they don't understand. I know they won't understand. But there's one who does understand, and he will forgive. You get his forgiveness, that stuff will fall in line one day. And because Jesus became his life, Paul says this in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live by His faith, who loved me and gave Himself for me. That'll change anybody. If your Christianity is Christ in you, if you love the life that He gives you, I don't care if it's waking up to to trouble or disaster, Say, Lord, I love you. You think this is good? I'll take it as good. That'll change your life. From that moment on, Paul was a Christian. He was now two people in one. I just want to say this and pass it on. Maybe another time we'll be able to deal with it, but maybe it'll help you. He was still a sinner. Listen to his own words. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I was chief, I am chief. Don't you start to believe this thought that, you know what, I'm not so bad anymore. You're still vile, wicked, lying, thieving scum. Amen. The millennials don't get that. Young people don't think they're that bad. Let me tell you, we're wicked. One of these days, folks, one of these days, we're going to be free from all this. Until then, I still struggle with me. I'm still a sinner. I'm still temptable. Are you temptable, Brother Dan? Amen. Amen. Still wrestling against temptation, you'll wrestle with temptations for the rest of your life. Still struggling against the struggling against the urge to quit, to get angry, get frustrated. With people, you're still a sinner. You're free from the dominion; it doesn't control you. But you can't you you can't uh, expect that all the pull, all the lure, all of the uh, um, uh, the interest that we have. You get around an angry person. You know what you get? Angry. You ever notice that? It's still in us. It's still in us. Still unable to be perfect. Paul never attained perfection, he said. He described himself over there in 1 Corinthians, he said, I am the least of all the apostles. He even says this in Ephesians, he says, I am less than the least of all saints. That's, Folks, you never come to this place, Pastor. You must have sin under control. You must be this per- very perfect person. No, I'm not. I have sins under control, but I'm still a sinner. And if you look real close, you'll still see me mess up. That's why I don't let you see real close. You know? <laughs> Christians, don't fool yourself, because you're not fooling anybody in this room. You're still a sinner. You're still a sinner even after salvation. But here's the good part. You're saved. First Corinthians. Quickly, go to First Corinthians. I gotta finish this. First Corinthians chapter one, verse eighteen. 1 Corinthians one eighteen. For the preaching of the cross is of them that perish? Foolishness. All this time I've been Preaching, doing my best to give you the understanding of the cross. And guess what? There's still some of you going, Neh. Nah, that's for somebody else. But you know what? Unto us, which are saved, you know what it is? It's the power of God. Because if we realize, I ain't what I should be. But I am saved. I'm saved. That's why we sing that song, Glory, I'm saved. Glory, I'm saved. My sins are all pardoned. My guilt it's all gone. You know, when that hits you, you'll sing it like you mean it. Not only was he still a sinner, but he was saved. Let me finish up. Go to 2 Corinthians and we'll be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Maybe all about all this talk about sin describes you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2. Say, you know what, if I could just How many of you, when you were a kid, you got a a statement from the teacher? We call it a report card in America. What do they call it here? That's the same, right? Get a report card. And it had E's and A's and B's. There was one letter that was really bad to get. I don't know, do they give them anymore? I'm almost expecting they don't put F on there anymore. For failure. But let me tell you, You got one of those, you didn't show daddy, did you? You sort of lost it. You fed it to the dog before you got home. Anything but own up to the fact that you failed. You know what church happens to do? It exposes us. That report card gets evident. outside you may be a nice guy or a nice girl, religious person. Inside you're a secret sinner. Inside, you're a blasphemer. You're a bully. Anybody doesn't, exam, doesn't believe exactly like you, you argue with them, you treat them like dirt. And an unbeliever. You only like the Bible parts that you like. Maybe that describes you. If that describes you, then you're in a mess. Don't kid yourself. You say, well, I'm not that as bad. I've never murdered anybody. You thought about it. You know what the Bible says? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. For he saith, this is God talking, I have heard thee in a the time accepted. I've heard you. This is, this is God saying that I've heard you when you cried out to me. And in the day of salvation have I secured thee. I helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's time to get saved. You know what's great? God will help you. So I don't know how to pray. He'll help you pray. Just start. Well, I don't know how to ask. Just ask. You ever stood in front of Burger King? No, I don't ask for a burger. They'll help you. Well, one, two, three, four, with or without kitchen. You know what? If you try to get saved, if you, I don't. There's no exact words you say. There's no direction you pray to. There's a heart that cries out in desperation, saying, "I'm chief of sinners." I don't want to go to hell. I don't deserve heaven, but I don't want to miss Jesus. I want what Christianity means to follow Christ. That'll work. That'll work. You say, well, I didn't pray. To... What what you pray doesn't matter. Is what you want. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's time to get saved. We live in an age where the hardest things to get people to pray. They'd rather be, they'd rather remain blindly religious. They'd rather blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ by their personal lies and wicked thoughts, wicked speech. You know, you're failing at what matters if you're not born again. Come to this church all you want. I'm glad you're here. One of these days you're going to have to own up to the fact that coming here doesn't get you there. Christian, maybe you're struggling with that old part of you that still sins and struggles with temptations, let me tell you this. You need to believe these three things. Number one, Jesus died for you while you were yet a sinner. He loved you when you were ungodly. And he took the place of unworthy, wicked people like you and me. If he loved you when you were that wicked, he still loves you. Amen. Amen. What are you going to do? He did not make you perfect and sinless. He just gave you himself. You're going to lie to yourself that you're not really, not really that bad. Or you accept the reality that you're pretty wicked. And God loves you. Wants to save you. If you're not saved, can't help you. You got to get in. You got to make the choice yourself. I wish I could make the choice for you. You know what Paul said? "I I could wish myself to be accursed of God. I could wish myself to go to hell if it would save my people. But me doing anything can't fix you. Christ did, if you want it. We'll just stand and bow. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, the message has always been the same. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross For us. Well, we didn't deserve it. We didn't even want it, but we needed it. And this morning, after 23 years, still the same message, still the same desire that the lost would be saved, that Christians would be encouraged, that the Bible would be preached, and that people would get right. Lord, help us to not worry about being perfect. I'm so sick of people saying and talking about all the problems in ourselves can we not talk about how perfect Jesus is and how perfect our forgiveness is and how powerful the gospel is I want to be like I used to be so Lord keep me on the straight and narrow, keep me following Jesus keep this church on the straight and narrow, just simply following Jesus we've got some great sinners in here pray, Lord, I pray that every one of them is saved. Don't let any of this group of people, don't let any of them go to hell, Lord. Don't let any of them miss Christ. Don't let any of them miss the opportunity today to cry out to you. Because you will hear, and you will succor, you will help, and you will save somebody today. If they would do that, let them have the courage to stand up and announce it and say, I trust Jesus Christ. I'm living for Him from this day forward. And the rest of us, may we decide, you know what? Even after all these years, I can say, Christ Jesus in the world has saved sinners like me. Messed up as I am, He's still long-suffering towards me. May He use me as I serve Him for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.